when Jesus Christ calls his church and they will be forever, forever with him in heaven. And then the sad bit, while those who have not believed will be resurrected to stand before the judgment seat of God to receive their judgment and eternal condemnation to the lake of fire. So, end of the world, a potentially emotionally charged topic because we tend to have our favourite opinion about that. And Almighty God has chosen in the Bible to reveal pictures of that time, visions of that time to selected uh, biblical characters and he's done it for his good reasons and the chief of those is his glory. His glory. And his glory is revealed when we realise, firstly, he knows how the story is going to end up. His glory is revealed because he's not going to be blindsided or surprised by anything. His glory is shown by the fact that his purposes and his strategies are going to achieve what he wants to achieve. And his glory is revealed in the fact that despite all the immense forces pitted against him, I mean, just imagine almost, well, not almost all, but great portions of the creation will be turned back against the creator. Despite that, God is not perturbed. He's not dismayed. And he's not outgunned in any way at all. Glory to God. And high on his list of purposes is a desire to encourage all of us, all his children, that despite all the things we see going wrong, and particularly when it comes to election time, we look at parties and we go, how could they possibly be that way? Why could, how could they? How has the political speak and language gone the way it is? We see that and we hear the strident voices raised against the Lord. And no matter how bad it seems, the message of the scripture is, we should not be troubled. Let's look at that. John 14. It's very plain. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare that place for you, I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me that you also can be there where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. The way is in Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Will you join me in prayer for a moment? Gracious Lord, although we are dismayed by the rapid descent of politicians into darkness and away from God, although we see our nation in terrible peril, we are reminded that the kingdom that we've been adopted into is not an earthly kingdom. And that kingdom that we've been adopted into lasts for eternity. So I pray that you would bless us with the capacity for our hearts to not be troubled, but to galvanise us to live out of our kingdom's values in this earthly kingdom that we find ourselves in. 
Amen. We could spend endless time trying to tease out the fine details of the future events predicted in the Bible and I'll leave that up to people who have a really strong interest in that area. And I guess it's just that we have an inquisitive spirit, don't we? We want to know the future. We want to be the detective. We want to be work it out. We want to be well informed. And I don't have any problem with that. But I do have a question when it comes to this prophecies of end times. And it's the, the nature of prophecy. Think back. The Bible has many, many predictions about Jesus. Before he came, it had many predictions about Jesus coming. But when he came, did anyone actually exactly predict how it would happen? I mean, some people don't even think he has come back yet. And I think that the purpose of prophecies is not so much to give the exact way it's going to happen, but more to say that when it does happen, you go, of course, I see it now. Oh, of course, that fits in there. Yes. Ah, oh, now I see it. Because if we knew it exactly, um, we'd probably be God. But we're people. We're limited. So we're given clues. We're given ideas. And, and, and think about this. There is some mystery in how the end times are talked about. The Bible talks about glorious and mysterious scenes in heaven. There's thrones, there's angels, there's very strange beasts, there's dragons, there's seals, there's trumpets, there's lambs that were alive yet they looked like they'd been slain. And it's very obvious that pictures and symbols and imagery are being employed to convey truth. And when you use pictures and symbols and images, the main truth is conveyed, but it's impossible for everyone to really agree on all the fine details about what's going on. And then again, there are layers of fulfilment of prophecy. Some things look like they're fulfilled in the relatively near future, but they also have an aspect of future fulfilment in mind. So these prophecies about the future are complicated. They've got layers to them. My intention is to consider that in all those prophecies that have been given to us in the Bible, first thing we know, they're true. They are accurate. They're divinely provided and they are a guide for us, for life, for living. But our capacity to understand them is a bit limited because we're not God. And when we talk about end times things, it can be fruitful if... There's a liberal application of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, if we, tell, we think, as we're talking about us, let there be love, let there be joy, let there be patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in that. And when we hunker down into a position and say, no, this is the interpretation, and then I start to lob things at you about it, I can turn it into an offensive weapon, which has unfortunately happened in the church over historically and so we take this position and therefore you, we're right, you're wrong and, and da, da 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 Anyway, so remember the fruits of the Spirit when we talk about it. So that, let me put aside now, let's uh, look at the central core of what we think the Bible says about the end times. And our first part of the statement was that we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. 
That's when Jesus Christ calls believers to meet him in the air to a judgment of reward and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we'll, we'll think about the statement then we'll look at the scriptures that, that uh, back it up. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You might have to look in your scriptures if you've got them there. We're uh, having a bit of fun with the technical side there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. Uh, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So that was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. And that little section of scripture is written to a church in a place called Thessalonica. And these guys there, they're, they're pretty troubled for a couple of reasons. You know, back in those days, Paul and them were pretty, feeling pretty soon, feeling pretty confident that Jesus was coming back soon. And, and some people had passed away and they said, oh, have they missed their chance? because they died before he's coming back. Are, are they going to be okay? That's one aspect of it. But another aspect of it, that we had some things which uh, I'll probably talk about a bit more next week, There's something called Gnosticism, which springs out of uh, the early Greek ideas of what's going on in spiritual realms. And there was a heresy around that uh, the return of Jesus to take Christians up to heaven, well, you know, it's not a real thing. It's just a spiritual thing. So that's one of the ideas that he's countering here. And he's saying, no, that's not it. There actually is a physical event. Paul's assuring them there's an actual physical event and don't worry about those who've already passed away because they're going to get caught up first because after all, they've got an extra six feet to travel. <laughs> and so remind of what, the scriptures, uh, what our statement says, no, verse 16 there, scripture. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Does that seem like an encouraging idea? I think it's a very good, encouraging idea. Now we consider this, this is called the rapture. That's a technical term for it. We consider this will be before a, a terrible seven-year period described in Revelation and called the tribulation. And Matthew 24, 21 tells us about that. It says, there will be a great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, nor ever shall be. And the book of Revelation talks about that period, lays out the details of it 
between chapters 13, sorry, between chapters 4 and 19. And in that period, the church itself is not mentioned. So the scholars say, well, church is not mentioned in that tribulation period. Uh, so therefore, the rapture would be before that. One of the things you noticed in there was the marriage supper. The raptured church will get to share in an amazing celebration. So this is a really serious party. We'll, we'll look at that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. So lots of people at this party. The sound was so loud, it's like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder. I guess they have the amps all cracked up. <laughs> Don't need amps. <laughs> There's so many of us. And they'll all be shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us be. Yes, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. What's the best fashion to put on? This fashion, isn't it? <laughs> righteous acts. And Revelation 19, verse 9, Then the angel said, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And that invitation is for us this morning, isn't it? The invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we are to put on Christ's robe of righteousness to be there. We want to wear the linen of righteous acts performed in the service of Jesus. The alternative to going to that party, not very pretty. See in verse chapter 3 to 18 of Revelation, basically we see God is throwing everything at mankind to get them to give up their sin and their perversion. He's throwing everything at people to convince them that living without God is the problem. That's what's responsible for their problems. But they are of their father the devil. And the only thing, the only thing they know for sure is that this godless way of living is running out of time it has a limited lifespan and the de that's one of the reasons the devil is raging and so furious against the church and against believers because he knows his time is running out and the children of him the self-loving the self-centered the self-made people are also furious because their time is running out One of the things that we come across is the judgment of reward. The bema seat is the uh, word in Greek. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we shall all stand before God's judgment seat. The judgment seat, um, there's a couple of Stay with my notes. The judgment seat. <laughs> this is a translation of a Greek word, bema. Now, in the Gospels and Acts, it's a, a platform. And on it sits the Roman magistrate, 
On it sits the ruler, he makes decisions, he passes sentence. But Paul also uses it often in relation to athletic events, athletic events, athletic contests, more like the way it was originally used amongst the Greeks. So when they had their, their, their games, from which the Olympic Games have come down, contestants are, are competing for the prize, and the judges are watching very carefully, make sure every rule is obeyed, and then at the end there's the victor, the, the winner, and he's led to the platform, he's led to the Beamer platform. And there the laurel wreath gets placed on his head as a symbol of victory. So there's a judgment of reward. Who is the one who made it through? Judgment is not, particularly for Christians, it's not just for sins. Because think about it, Jesus has paid for our sins. He paid the penalty for them. And so we'll look at a couple of verses which talk about the reward aspect of judgment. Revelations 22:12. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. My reward is with me. And I'll give to each person according to what they've done. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. You know, that's the judgment of uh, you did the wrong thing. But there's the reward. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And therefore, what do we do? Point the finger at one another and say, uh, you know, that's one of the criticisms of the, the, in the, of the world about the church. Oh, you, you've got us telling you off. It's no. The purpose of this, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Our statement of faith moves on. We believe that Jesus Christ will return in person with his saints and that the full consummation of the kingdom of God awaits his return to earth. And uh, we see scripture, 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The same idea in Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw a heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. And down to verse 14, and the armies of heaven were following him. And I think that's the church, that's the, the believers. The armies of heaven are following him, and they're riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And if we look at that small book of Jude, verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. The Lord comes back with his church, with thousands and thousands of his holy ones. Carry on with a statement of faith. We believe that each person who believes in the saving work of Jesus Christ will receive a resurrected body. Some of us are going, yes. <laughs> a resurrected body when Jesus Christ calls his church and they will be forever 
with him in heaven. While those who have not believed will be resurrected to stand before, and this is the other judgment seat, the judgment seat of God to receive their judgment and eternal condemnation to the lake of fire. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 52 In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. It's a glorious hope, isn't it? To be raised imperishable and we will be changed and confirmed in verse 42 of the same chapter so it will be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. Amen. So let's look now at the final judgment. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. The fearful judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the fled Yes, and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what had they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death, and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was adjudged according to what they'd done. And then death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone's name whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We uh, go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 to see some more about this judgment time. I come across something, someone called the lawless one. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will just overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. And he will use all sorts of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways of wickedness deceives those who are perishing. Why they perish? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they'll believe the lie and we hear people talking in the mass media and we say they're just deluded. It's true, isn't it? God sends a powerful delusion so they believe the lie and so that they'll all be condemned who have not believed the truth. That's the way out. Believe the truth. But they've delighted in wickedness. Back to Revelation chapter 20 again. Verse 10, carrying on this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they tormented day and night forever and ever. 
until chapter 21, verse 6, he said to me, it's done. It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God's been there at the beginning of the process. You'll be there at the end of the process. To the thirsty, no, thirsty for truth. If you want to know truth, that's the way, the way through. To the thirsty, I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I'll be their God and they will be my children. That's glorious, isn't it? But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. These are sober scriptures, aren't they? And uh, I didn't want to say much, but just to let the Spirit show you the truth of this here. But we don't leave you just with that. We leave you finally with an invitation. Whatever you might be thinking about the fine details of how it's worked out, the Bible finishes, this is the last book of the Bible, the Bible finishes all these visions to the end of the world with an invite, an invitation. 22 verse 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. Now to verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. But don't dwell on it too long. Don't toss it around too long. Choose which team you want to be on. Choose which end you want to have today because Revelations chapter 22 verse 20 says, he who testifies to these things says yes I am coming soon. Will you pray with me? The Lord says to us, yes I am coming soon. His time is not like ours but he's saying Live your life with this reality because it will happen one day. I am coming soon. And therefore make the decisions that you need to make. Lord, let us be people who choose truth. We don't choose to be self-made. We don't choose to do it our way. Let us be people who choose to avoid the second death. So forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.